The world around us is changing faster than ever before. Before, From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change, encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Today, my guest is Manika Gopinath, who is the lead of social intelligence and communities at Ipsos. Welcome, Manika. Hi, Seema. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I know this is such a hot topic for so many people. I think personally, so many people use social media and then the use cases of using social intelligence to kind of help answer business questions is, I still think, relatively new for many to digest. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I probably agree. I've been at Ipsos for about eight years. At the time I joined Ipsos, I came from a marketing and social media background. So okay. I kind of lived and breathed digital already, but it was interesting to see how untapped it was from an insights perspective. And I think what I've been seeing as the market has matured with social intelligence is I think there's a lot of amazing things happening in the social intelligence realm for insights, but it's not being leveraged as broadly as it could be. And then on the other side, the people that are using social listening tools kind of across the board in marketing and digital functions probably could be getting a lot more insight out of it. So it's interesting to see kind of that the very different ends of the spectrum that it's at. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I've heard that in many cases where, you know, social intelligence and access really does fall into the hands of many marketers and brand managers and doesn't necessarily come through the insights function. And hence, to your point, you know, maybe not getting the full value in terms of being able to leverage that data to drive actionable decisions. Yeah. You know, I think we're all, there's some clients or companies that are doing a better job of that bridge. And I definitely see it evolving. We're seeing, you know, obviously a lot more of the analytics and insights functions having a much closer linkage to the broader marketing function beyond just being kind of an internal supplier. So I think it's definitely changing, but yeah, it does feel like you already have this data. (laughs) Such an amazing source of data that there's so many ways to be able to, to use it in a more strategic way. So let's break it down for our listeners. What is the true definition of social intelligence? Oh gosh, I guess it depends on who you ask. Well, from your perspective. From my perspective. (laughs) No, it's a great question. I think we're always saying, don't say social listening, social intelligence. I think from the perspective of my team and and how we talk about it at Ipsos, it really is about leveraging the data set for insights, for true insight. So what that means from a classic research sense, a lot of people... Like I said, most clients, if not every single one of them, are using a social listening tool. And at the baseline, they're listening to what people are saying about their brand and maybe their core competitive set. That to me is not necessarily social intelligence. That's social listening, which is important and everyone should be doing it at a baseline. 
when it turns into more social intelligence, it's more, how do we use that data set to really address a core set of business objectives from an insights perspective, right? So like, what is happening in my category today that I need to be thinking about as I put my strategic plan together for next year? Like using it from that perspective, that's really where I think we jump into the realm of social intelligence. Got it. So it's adding value. You're not just listening, although listening does add value because you need to understand where where your customers and your competitors' customers are, but it takes it one step further in terms of kind of feeding into future strategy or, or specific decisions. Yeah. Maybe you can look at it from like the sense of monitoring into actionability. So there's definitely going to be action against like baseline monitoring. Like you're like, oh, what's going on? Something bad's happening. I need to address it. <laughs> but maybe that's a more reactive way to think about it. So this maybe is a more proactive way to leverage the data set. When you think about clients that are using, you know, the data to, from the perspective of social intelligence, are there characteristics of those types of companies that are more willing to embrace this type of data and analysis? That's a good question. I think there's definitely, I mean, there's some clients or some brands that are already using it and it's already very embedded into their culture. And I, I would right. think a lot of those are some of the more newer entrants into the marketplace. But I've also seen, you know, classic CPG brands that are using it really, really well. I mean, I'm sure you remember back in the day, like in the last like decade, where like clients had like the command centers built out in their organization, right? I think that kind of took it to the extreme and whether it was good or bad, but it definitely showed an investment in understanding the value of this like real-time organic conversation happening about brands, categories, society, culture, et cetera, right? It's, so yes. I think there's definitely levels to who's doing it better or worse. I'm not going to call anyone out right now. Of course not, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I do think that for me, maybe I'm biased, but I rarely see a brief come across my desk where I'm like, this doesn't make sense for social intelligence. I mean, that there's really so many different ways to apply it. And even if it's just a front-end gut check, like let's just make sure we're not missing any blind spots. Right. It's generally going to provide some layer of value to the overall learning objective. That makes sense. And I agree with you. I think, you know, companies that are, you know, probably grew up quote unquote digitally and didn't have the historical background necessarily of not being in a digital world are more apt to tons of data and being able to synthesize and use it towards actionability, just because that's the world they know and live in. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about use cases. I think that there's still a, not a clear understanding in terms of, you know, where does social intelligence fit in, quote unquote, my toolbox when I think about use cases? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said before, there's definitely a lot of different ways it can be used to inform broader learning objectives. But I think some of the core areas and where we're doing a lot of our work in is very much in market understanding and category landscape work. So where it could be a combination of really understanding what does my category look like, which is a very difficult question to answer these days with so much disruption. So what social data provides us with is that from a very consumer-centric perspective, how are people talking about not even a category, but the the need 
the occasion or whatever it might be, right? You don't even have to start from the perspective of brands, which is a different way of approaching market landscape work, right? So that is actually, I think, a huge area where we've been able to deliver a ton of value to clients because, like I said before, there's blind spots, there's disruptors, there's niche entrants. There's a lot of things happening in different categories that might not be on your radar, even if you are like a specialist in that world, right? So that data set can provide a lot of value. I think the other piece is is trends, like cultural trends and forecasting and foresight against kind of what's bubbling up and what is worth focusing on versus what maybe is a flash in a pan. That's another area that I think we're using it a lot. And then obviously the integration with core communications and brand tracking capabilities. So, you know, brand health tracking obviously is something every brand is doing at some level. I think there's already been linkages with social listening, like I was saying before, but how can we get a more strategic in terms of the integration of the attributes and the KPIs? So it's not just like a set of KPIs over here and a set of KPIs over here, right? What do those mean in context with one another? A lot of clients, obviously, I think are looking at, do we need survey-based tracking at all? Well, that's the question that many people ask, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think that it's more about how do we get more purposeful and efficient with the survey-based tracking? Because at some level, it's always helpful to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And that's not just because I work at Ipsos. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really how do you use the different data sets smarter in, in conjunction one another, right? But, you know, one thing I think that has really shifted and accelerated our ability to use this data set in more intelligent ways is really machine learning and the advanced analytic capabilities that affords us. So a lot of the things that we're doing are applying rigorous frameworks that Ipsos has developed over many, many years against structured data sets, against quantitative data sets, or traditionally quantitative data sets. But we're applying that to the full corpus of social data, conversation data, unstructured data. And that's something that I think, you know, when I first started at Ipsos, you know, a decade ago when people were doing social listening, it was random sample set, hand coding. At some level, even if there were thousands and thousands of mentions of something, you still were taking a smaller data set and coding it. That's no longer some th- a limitation for us, right? So I think that in itself has really like amped up the power of this data set. It's like immensely quantitative in nature, but it's also really rich qualitative because you're able to double click into all of it. All the conversations and specificity around certain themes. So when you approach, just to kind of give people a real vision of how a, let's say a market understanding or a study mm-hmm. or engagement looks like. What Can you give us a high level approach? And really, I'm always curious as to how much data really feeds into something like that when you think about social listening and translating that into intelligence. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think in the context of market landscape, like I said, there's different ways you can approach it. You don't always have to start at the context of the brand specifically, but using that as an example, when we do use the brand, generally you're not limited to a finite group of brands. So you might have, you know, 30, 40, 50 brands that you're looking at in the data set. 
And that can equate to hundreds of thousands of actual verbatim or mentions um, that we're looking at. And we're also able to define the time frame, which comes into context a lot with clients that have very seasonally based, like we're doing project in the cold and flu realm. And, you know, obviously there's cold season. So looking at fluctuations in the data against that as well. So you're able to define the data set and the duration of it, which I think is also a very powerful thing. You're not reliant on the fielding time. Um, but yeah, so like in the context of market landscape, like let's say we were looking at, you know, the skincare category and we had 50 plus brands that we were looking at mentions of, and you're looking at a year of data. So in that context, you're seeing, you know, potentially like half a million, if not more mentions, right? So it's a big data set. And so there's multiple layers of how you would approach making sense of it, right? The first would be, you know, like looking at it from text analytics perspective and looking at co-mentions. So you can see how people are talking about the different brands in context with one another. And then you can do an association analysis, like what are the key associations being discussed for one brand versus a set of brands. So you start to kind of break up the data in a way that's making sense of it. And then ultimately, you can actually map that in a perceptual map to start to see how are the different brands in this category clustering and what are the needs that they're delivering against from a consumer perspective. Because again, all of this is being driven by what consumers are organically saying about these brands in the social conversation. Makes sense. Yeah. But, but the cool thing is you can double click in it and understand more about why and have imagery and descriptive terms and all of these things against that. I was going to ask you, do you do anything around uh, photos or videos as it relates to, you know, what people share as, a, let's say in this category, colds or flus? Do you actually use the imagery images and analyze those as well? Yeah, we do. Absolutely. I think imagery is actually become more used in language in some ways, right, in the social conversation. So it's a pretty critical part of the analysis. You know, the technology against that is getting better, but there's always also the metadata and the captions linked to it as well. But there's things like logo recognition or object recognition that are getting better and better over the years. So yeah, that definitely plays a role. Video as well, that's definitely a more emerging area in terms of the technology capability for actually crawling and and analyzing. But in terms of what we do with it and how we use that in the actual analysis, that's also something that is really important. I mean, you know, I have an eight-year-old who loves YouTube and TikTok, clearly (laughs) critical communication mode. Yeah. For us to understand. So yeah, it's definitely a consideration in the data set. It's, is it perfect in terms of how we're analyzing it? Not necessarily yet, but it's definitely a key priority. Yeah. It probably provides another layer of depth to the analysis when you pull that in as well, even in terms of when you say you can click onto it and then just watch the video that shares that sentiment or shares that finding. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's always a concern about the dependency of getting the data feeds from the social platforms. Is there a concern or, you know, thoughts around that? Or do you think it's, you know, this is a whole new world and it's steady state and will continue to grow? Yeah, I mean, I think actually that's probably one of the biggest reasons Ipsos acquired Synthesio last year. Okay. So Synthesio is the social listening tool 
that we use at Ipsos. It's obviously a preferred because we acquired them. You know, we work with clients that use other tools. You know, Brandwatch is obviously one of the biggest in the market. And that's one that our clients use as well. But I think from the perspective of data quality and security, that's obviously really important to Ipsos. And Synthesio has really the widest set of data acquisition capabilities. And it also gives us the ability to have some oversight into that. So we're understanding where the data is coming from. Now, in terms of the broader internet, yeah. <laughs> what people are saying and how the data, you know, that obviously is a little bit of Wild West. We are actually, our Mori colleagues in the UK are doing a study right now on data quality in social. So that's out next year. You know, I think it's an interesting time to ask that question because when you think about survey-based and online panels and all of the things going on with bots and managing data quality on that end, it's a question that I always wonder. I'm like, well, is it any worse? <laughs> Better or worse? Yeah, it's trade-offs, right? And it's based on the use case and the appropriateness, I would imagine, in terms of what answer you're trying to get to. What about the economics of social intelligence? You know, I think one of the things that I did a podcast earlier a couple of weeks ago saying that as leaders, we have a responsibility to, you know, not follow all the hype and continue to put a eye towards understanding more deeply the pros and cons of methodologies, but also understanding a little bit more about the trade-offs. And, and one of the big ones that I haven't fully gotten to yet in my own mind is the economics of the new methodologies versus, I would say, you know, at this point, I'll say traditional methodologies. Do you have a sense of what that feels or looks like? Or are clients not even asking about it because they just believe in the methodology so much that it's not even a question? I think it's still not necessarily a bought-in capability from my experiences. I think you still have to do a lot of convincing okay. of clients to put their research budget against social intelligence. I think it's, I'm seeing it shift, but slowly, you know, I think that, like I said, my background is marketing and consumer engagement from a digital perspective. It's been, I've been in this world for two decades. And so from my perspective, I've it's always been about understanding people and listening to people. And like when you think about social, it's literally people talking. Like, yes, there's influencers taking over a lot of conversation. But at the end of the day, all of us at some level are engaging with that content online in some ways. Whether we're posting or not, we're engaging with it. But it means something. Mm -hmm. And that social dynamic to me is something you cannot ignore. If you really want to have a holistic sense of how to like drive your brand forward and understand what the consumer perspective is, you kind of need it in your toolbox. So for me, it's one of those, why wouldn't you do it? Right. <laughs> Again, I guess I'm biased. Right. <laughs> you know, like I said, I also oversee our online communities capability at Ipsos. And that was what social media was 20 years ago. It was online communities. And that was where like, people that were passionate about something or really loved something or had a high affinity for things like that was how they found each other and how they talked. About it. And that was where you kind of get the purest learning about things in that context, right? So I think for me, it's one of those things that it just doesn't even make sense to not do it. And that's what is always so interesting. Mind boggling. Yeah, I know. In these conversations where I'm having to like 
sell it. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? But I get it. Cause there's, you know, there's things you think about, you know, you know, there's things you can just always rely on, right? Numbers don't lie at some level, right? So I get it. But I think what we're getting better at in terms of like looking at how you use social intelligence is actually leveraging it in a more robust forecasting methodology or validating it against academically proven models, right? Like those are things that we've been doing over the last decade at Ipsos to make sure that you can expect the rigor that you come to expect from coming to a supplier like Ipsos from any data set, whether social search or survey or whatever, you know what I mean? And I think that's kind of the biggest thing that we've been focusing on, ensuring that we can increasingly provide that much more validation behind the data. And I think that's so important because you know, there's a lot of companies that kind of do social listening. They do so they translate that into social intelligence under kind of their company capability. But so much of our jobs are to be responsible and to ensure that data represents what you're talking about. There's good hygiene to it. There's approach and processes. And I think, you know, when clients are thinking about it, I think those are really important questions to ask because not everybody can handle the multitude of data sets that are out there and stitch them together to really create some powerful insights. I don't know if you bump up against companies that say they're in the social intelligence space, but not necessarily really have the wherewithal to kind of have a defensible approach to what they're doing. Yeah, I think there's still definitely the majority, there's a good amount of social listening offerings that are still very surface in terms of the context and the meaning and the actionability against it. So that's kind of what I was talking about before. I think like there's a very broad spectrum of what people are delivering within the context of quote unquote social intelligence. So yeah, so I think that's where you, you know, from a client perspective, you need to be smart about what you're using from a brand perspective and how you're applying that. Just like any data set, you have to be thinking about it contextually. You know, but I will say like there's experiences we've had when we've delivered learning from a social intelligence project and the client is like, that doesn't make sense. But when the great thing about social data is you can double click into it. So the client is like, I don't think that makes sense. That sounds very counter to what we've always discussed internally or whatever. You can double click into it, actually look at the verbatim and understand what is driving that learning from the quantitative perspective. And that gives that real context. You're like, well, here's literally what people are saying. And sometimes that's hard, you know, like, obviously, we all have our like preconceived notions, we already have our strategic planning in place, like you don't really want to rock the boat. But because you have that ability, I think to double click, that makes it very powerful. Yeah, then it's not you, but it's not you between the data and the findings. It's you actually have the consumer kind of right there in the room sharing, validating the finding as well. Yeah, because like, if you were doing any other kind of research, you might be like, oh, let's go out and do a focus group about this or like, you know, whatever it might be. So it's already there. And I think that gives you more agility. It gives you more understanding, more context. And what do companies do in that situation? I mean, I know not every company behaves the same, but are they embracing the new finding? Is it something that's kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is like, how are people responding to something like that? 
I mean, I think it depends on the brand, obviously. But, sure. You know, the ones that are are truly, I mean, everyone talks about being consumer centric. Yes. So, <laughs> but actually embody that, <laughs> I think are very open to it and understand that. I mean, we did a project with a QSR brand that was looking at how they could stand out in the market and they were convinced it was breakfast. And when we did the market landscape, it was very clear that breakfast was crowded and people were doing very well in the QSR realm. And But there was this whole other area that was unmet by a lot of the competition, but that they were excelling in. And a lot of people were talking organically about it. And so, we, you know, the guidance was, you know, that was a project, by the way, that I'll say we did social intelligence, we did community, we did a quantitative segmentation. So there was multiple layers to it. But at the end of the day, when we, we were able to say to them with confidence, like, we don't think breakfast is where you're going to win. Like, this is where you should really be focusing. And here's why. But because we were able to give them that to them in layers, like it wasn't just one survey or whatever, I think that also strengthened their confidence at some level in terms of, oh, yeah, maybe we should be really focusing on this. So it's really, again, it goes back to at the end of the day where we have to be consultative with our clients and have a point of view. So the data is helping us to get there, but how we present it and why we present it. And then that's why, like, I think, we also are very, you know, committed to making sure we're presenting contextual research as well. So it's not just your custom research, like this is what we've seen culturally or societally or, you know, politically, whatever, making that all part of the story. So I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> yeah, I think the brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. I think change is hard regardless, right? So this is something very different from, you know, traditional methods. And so it is going to take some time. And, you know, it's almost like the traditional data sets complemented with the social intelligence. It's almost like having, you know, a security blanket to accept those results at times. But you know, over time, I think when you look at all these different modes of data collection that have happened in our industry, eventually things they're accepted and they settle and it finds a space in the world of analytic and research. Yeah. And I think to, you know, turn that around as well, like we also are doing social intelligence on the back end of quantitative work, right? So we have clients that have a, a quantitative segmentation study that is very sterile on paper, right? Like, you know, it's helpful, but it's like, here's day parts, here's occasions, whatever. But what does that mean from a perspective. So taking that frame and then using that as the starting point for social intelligence study can bring that to life. So there's different ways that I think the data set can really support the more, I hate using the word traditional, but the I know <laughs> accepted methodologies. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, so I think, and that's what I think has been fun about doing this at Ipsos. You know, like there's a lot of agencies that are doing social intelligence, but the fact that we're able to really link it to things that are very accepted methodologies and find ways to layer into that and elevate and provide new opportunities for learning, I think that's super cool. That's not something that everyone can, can really have access to. So Yeah, it's very powerful because, you know, it's like candy in a candy shop. You have so many different data sets that you can use to be able to provide those recommendations and insights, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Manika, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'd love to let's touch base in a year and see where we are with social intelligence and how the market has shifted or not shifted. I'd love to have you back. 
That'd be awesome. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.